This morning we're in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, if you'll turn there. We're going to look at three verses uh, this morning. Uh, this is something that I, I didn't feel like I was able to give proper attention to last week. Uh, last week we covered Ephesians 1, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Uh, I wanted to revisit this and look at verses 6 through 9. There's a, there's a, a fundamental reality in these verses that I just don't think can be emphasized or encouraged enough, and that is the, the gospel, uh, the gospel and what we do with it. Uh, so I, I hope this morning I can show that to you in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. And, and once again, you, you can recognize the great emphasis in the New Testament, this great thrust of the Apostle Paul uh, for the gospel. And it's the power of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, its preciousness. We're going to see that this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. David alluded to the paper airplane contest. Uh, it's going to be on Wednesday night, and there's nobody that's ever gotten into the baptistry. I've also, I think there's a lot of Air Force and Navy guys in the room, and to my knowledge, there's a, a little bit of um, competition among the service branches about who has the better aircraft and the better pilots. I mean, I don't know, but it's been said, uh, Army wings are made of lead. I don't know, but I've been told Marine Corps wings are made of gold. It's a joke. It's a joke. You, you service guys should come out and make some air, paper airplanes. I mean, the Navy guys are great engineers. See if you can top them and, or the, the Air Force guys, but enough of that. You just got me excited. I blame that on you. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 6. I hope you can forgive me for that as we now look at what's important. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. I talked with a high school football coach uh, a few years ago and he was really excited to get to go and join the Indian Indianapolis Colts for a week. He got to go and spend a week with the Colts coaches and essentially take part and watch their practices for a week and was really excited about hopefully getting some really special insights and some new strategies about defense. He was a defensive coach and he went to the Indianapolis Colts for a week and came back and his report to me was they essentially did the same thing we do. They focused mainly on the fundamentals of football in their practice and it just was a reminder of the importance of the fundamentals. Of course, we have that in the Christian faith as well. We have that in the Scripture, the fundamental of the gospel, this foundational reality, this, again, focus that you find all through the New Testament, this message of the gospel. And it begins with a purpose of the gospel in chapter 3 and verse 6. And notice this purpose. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. If you want to 
if you want a little phrase to be a fountainhead of what you believe in Christ through the gospel would be a good place to start the book of Ephesians is unmatched in its description of God's overarching plan of salvation and in that plan God has his purpose for people to be saved and in Ephesians chapter 2 and now into chapter 3 it becomes clear that that includes and involves the nations and for the person who was a, a Jew who who grew up with the Old Testament again this would be revolutionary they they had Abraham and then Israel and then David and now Christ has come and and Paul uses this language of mystery mystery and by mystery he means something that was previously not revealed that God had plans and purposes that he was bringing about and what was not revealed in the Old Testament has now been revealed in Christ through the gospel and notice specifically what it is here in this passage and look at this language in chapter 3 and verse 6 the mystery is here's what was previously not revealed but what is revealed the Gentiles so these non-Jews the nations are fellow heirs heirs of the promises of God members of the same body so there's one body here now through Christ in Christ through the gospel partakers of the promise they receive the Holy Spirit in Christ through the gospel you see it there at the end of the the statement God's plans and his purposes for the world the Gentiles comes about it's in Christ and it's through the gospel this is one of the the great revelations of God in the New Testament is it's not just the descendants of Abraham that are the people of God it's now those who believe in Jesus Christ that make up the people of God look at it in Acts 15 uh, this becomes one of the probably the largest controversy of the early church and it, it comes to a head in Acts chapter 15 where the Apostles and Apostles from Antioch namely Paul they come together to discuss this controversy about these Gentiles being saved what's going on with that well you know don't they have to keep these laws and regulations of Moses and how do you deal with that well well Peter speaks up about that issue in Acts 15 verses 7 to 9 and look what he says and after there had been much debate Peter stood up and said to them brothers you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith so you see that Peter makes clear this was God's plan this is God's purpose he gave them the Holy Spirit just like he gave us and their hearts are cleansed in the same way our hearts were cleansed the same way Abraham's heart was cleansed by faith by faith Peter in his little letter first Peter who most believe were written to Gentiles that were scattered listen to what Peter says in first Peter chapter 2 verses 9 to 10 but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession now that is a that is a quotation from the Old Testament about Israel about the people of God in the Old Testament and now Peter is here applying it to all believers and saying all believers in Jesus Christ now are this look at, look at what he goes on to say 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, that's what we are in Christ through the gospel. We're God's people. We're God's people. That's our primary identity. That's who we are. And it's because of the gospel. That's what I don't want you to miss today. Here again is one of the reasons the gospel is so important. This is one of the purposes of the gospel. To make a new people. The people of God. In Christ through the gospel. So I want to just make sure that we understand what the gospel is. The gospel is a very clear, very defined message in the scripture. I think probably the best definition of it can be found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, where Paul delineates what the gospel is. This is a, a good text to memorize. It's a good text to mark in your Bible, to talk with people about, to share with people, and, and obviously to use in discipleship. We want people to know the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. Notice it's proclaimed. They've received it and they're continuing to believe it. They're standing in it, verse 2. And by which you are being saved is through this message, through this simple, clear message that people are saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. A vain belief would be a a belief that doesn't continue to trust or believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, That would not be a real faith. Real faith perseveres and keeps believing. And now he gets to the definition of it specifically in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So notice this is of first importance. This is a primary message for us in importance. Christ died for our sins. Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins. In our place, condemned he stood. He died for our sins. And notice it's in accordance with the scriptures. This isn't some new idea God had. No, this fulfills the scripture. This is one of the great, one of the great reasons you can see the truthfulness of the gospel and the word of God is how consistent the Bible is and God's plans are in, in bringing this about. You can, you can trace this plan all the way from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, it's astounding. He, was, he died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried. That proved he was really dead. And then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. That's the message of the gospel. His death for sins, his burial, his resurrection from the dead. It's of great importance. And that's hopefully the, what you, the emphasis today. If you read the New Testament, you're going to see it's a, it's a very gospel-centered book. It's about Jesus Christ and what he did. This is what the apostles are about. This is the message they're spreading. This is what they're trying to help people know. This is what they're trying to reemphasize to churches. This central message of first importance. Then what do you do with it? Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 11, what, what Paul goes on to affirm in 1 Corinthians 15. Whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So I, I think it's just helpful to take a moment and, and, and again make clear not only what the gospel is, because that's so primary 
in the way Paul the Apostle thinks about God and the Christian life in the church, in Christ through the gospel. But the gospel is to be received by faith. Faith not just knowing some things. Knowing some things is required for faith. You've got to know what Jesus did and why you need him and who he is before you receive him in faith. Faith is a a trusting. One person calls it an apprehending. It's a depending on. I don't just know about Jesus. I'm depending on Jesus to bring me to God. I don't just know Jesus died for my sins. I'm trusting in him to forgive me of my sins. He is my hope. Faith is a a trusting in. It's, It's a confidence in. My confidence is not in myself. I'm a a sinner. My confidence is in Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man who came and died for my sins on the cross. That's, That's a purpose of the gospel. Praise God. We are brought into the body of Christ through him. So that's a purpose of the gospel. Now, I want you to see in verse chapter 3, verse 8, what Paul does with it, a proclamation of the gospel. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his powers. Where last week, if you want to go back and listen, we focused on the grace of God in bringing this about. Paul's here talking autobiographically about his ministry, his service to God. Look at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Notice the message of the gospel, verse 7, of this gospel, verse 8, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. What does Paul do with this message? He proclaims it. This word, preach the gospel, is one word in the original. It generally is in the context of taking this message to people who don't know it. It is a verbal proclamation about what Jesus did, what we read there in 1 Corinthians. It's a verbal proclamation of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the call to believe in that. There's a proclamation of it. It's, It's a message to be verbally expressed. This word that we have here, preach to the Gentiles. The gospel. By the way, it would be it would be right and fine to, to translate that word preach, preach the gospel. The word gospel is embedded in that word. Uh, I fear they didn't translate it that way because they didn't want to be redundant. It's good to be redundant about the gospel. The New Testament is. To preach the gospel to the Gentiles. This word originally referred to in the Roman world, a messenger bringing good news about a battle. That's where that phrase, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news, comes from. The idea was, if there's a a battle that's been won, the messenger is running a certain way to declare the good news. We won. We defeated the enemy. It's it's a messenger bringing good news. It's in Luke chapter 2 where the, the angels show up in heaven. And what are they bringing? They're bringing a message of good news. That's what this word is all about. And it's almost always in the context of taking this good news to people who don't know it. And that's, that's Paul the Apostle's life. That's, that's his life, going to the Gentiles, going to where people have not heard the gospel. And, and you know, that's the life of some people still today. We call them missionaries. Uh, essentially, they're just doing what they see in the Bible if, in going to another culture, another place, and taking this message to people who haven't heard. 
There are still Christians who do that. Again, we, we call them missionaries. We want to support them and encourage them in their work. Look at, look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Here's one way you can support the proclamation of the gospel. You, 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 you should want the gospel going forth and to see it go forth because there is so much of the New Testament and the early church tied up in this picture and this example and these commands about taking the gospel forth and it rings out from churches to the nations. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 18. This is, this is, again, Paul's wrapping up the letter. Look what he says to the church. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There's, you know, say, praying, praying for all Christians, verse 8, 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Look at that prayer request. There's something good to pray for missionaries. There's something good to pray for one another. Words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly. I love it that Paul the Apostle, this, this example of a man who goes to other cultures, who, who's very bold with proclaiming Jesus to Jews and Gentiles, is, is asking his prayer request is pray that I'll be bold. By the way, that's one of the places places boldness comes from. I think it's one of the great needs in our day is a boldness to speak to people and to speak to the world the gospel. That takes boldness. In the early chapters of Acts, you'll see they pray for boldness. Obviously, they knew they needed it. And God answers that prayer after they've prayed it. It's a good thing to pray for missionaries. It's a good thing to pray for one another, though, because you have people like Paul and you have people like missionaries that devote their life and all of their time to proclaiming the gospel and that's I think primarily what this is about and what this text is talking about and we want to support them with prayer the reality is all of us can also proclaim the gospel we know this message we can talk to people about Jesus Christ we can talk to people about God we, we don't want to assume that people know the gospel that's deadly people all around us in South Mississippi, do not know the gospel. Now, they know some things about Jesus, maybe. They've maybe heard some things about Jesus. They don't, in general, know the gospel, though. That's, that's just been my experience, at least, in talking with people in the so-called Bible Belt, which, whatever that means. It doesn't mean much these days, I don't think. People may have heard of Jesus, but they don't know the gospel. Christians are confused about the gospel. Don't, don't assume people know. And among those who do know it, don't assume people are believing the gospel. I mean, what is belief? What does it look like? And is a person really trusting in Jesus? Just, just understanding that there was a Jesus and even maybe understanding or knowing what he did. Are you trusting in the gospel today? Are you trusting in Jesus? Is it more than just facts that you know about? Are you depending on Jesus to forgive you? Is this all your righteousness? Nothing but the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice. There's a proclamation of the gospel here that is at the heart and the DNA of who Paul the Apostle is. You can't understand him apart from understanding the gospel. Notice verse 8, grace given to preach to the Gentiles. Now notice what he says he's going to preach. He's preaching the gospel, right? 
Well, look what he says he's preaching. Preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you see what he just called the gospel? Chapter 7, at the very beginning of this gospel, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So not only is there a purpose of the gospel in bringing Gentiles into the people of God, there's a proclamation of the gospel. There's also the preciousness of the gospel. If you, if you need encouragement, if you want to be motivated to proclaim the gospel, recognize the value of its content. Paul the Apostle views the gospel as the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is valuable information. In fact, I believe it's the most valuable information that people desperately need. Paul the Apostle holds the gospel in high regard. We as Christians, we as a church, should hold the gospel in high regard. To view it as the unsearchable riches of Christ. If a person discovered the cure for cancer, wouldn't that be amazing news? I mean, there would be celebrations. That would be a time to party. In faith. If you were part of a research team of scientists that discovered the cure for cancer, and this is real, it worked, wouldn't you want to tell people about that? The curse of sin is far more significant than the curse of cancer. It afflicts everyone. And in the gospel, in Christ through the gospel, God deals with man's sin. It's the best news of all. It's precious. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. Another motivator can be found in the next parallel statement to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring, so notice in the preaching of the gospel, it's the unsearchable riches of Christ, but notice what it brings in verse 9. Bring the light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? So notice it's to bring the light. This This is part of the proclamation of the gospel. Here's another motivation and encouragement to proclaim the gospel. Not only is it the unsearchable riches of Christ, but it also brings light. It brings light. And what it brings to light is the plan of God. Amazing that believers can be part of the people of God. That is amazingly good news. That is brought to light through the the proclamation of the gospel. If people are stumbling in darkness, which they are, we should be motivated to bring them light. This is the most important direction from God that he's given to man. Jesus Christ, his son, crucified for sins, raised again, future judge. And everyone, look at this word. This is an incredible word. (laughs) For a Jew to write in verse 9, bring to light for everyone. That's the Gentiles included. By the way, just, along, just to give you a little research assignment for today. You know, schools give you homework, preachers should give you homework. Here's a good, here's a good, here's a good way to use an hour on a rainy Sunday. Take Romans 10, which is this famous chapter Spurgeon called Romans 10 the machinery of the gospel. It's how it works. It's how it works that people need to hear the gospel to be saved. For people to hear it, somebody's got to preach to them. For people to preach, they're sent by the church. Read Romans 10, but read the chapter in light of 
Gentiles being included in the people of God. That is at the heart of Romans 10. That's where all this everyone language comes from. It's, it's in Romans 10. Just read it and look for the everyone's. This revolutionary idea that now the gospel goes to everybody and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You, you won't and can't understand Romans 10 if you don't get this Gentile inclusion in there. It's, it's there. Read it and see for yourself. And it's, it's here in verse 9. Like, this is kind of like a mini Romans 10. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. That's the preciousness of the gospel. It's unsearchable riches and it brings light. And then the final statement here is about the power of God. The power of God. Look at what Paul says about God here. And I believe this is connected to the, this proclamation of the gospel at the end of verse 9. God who created all things. We're talking about fundamental things this morning. The gospel, its proclamation, its preciousness, the power of God. Fundamental to the Christian faith and to the way God reveals himself and he works in the world is in Christ through the gospel. Also fundamental to God is that he's the creator of all things. If you study the Old Testament and, and ask the question, what does the Old Testament primarily say about God? One of your answers will be, he created all things. Because not only do you find it at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, but you're going to find it reiterated all through the Old Testament. One of the ways God's referred to is, he's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the creator of all things. So we're talking about just a, an utterly fundamental reality. And one of the things you find if you study Paul's ministry and the preaching of the gospel is this fact often accompanies the preaching of the gospel. Let me show it to you in a couple places. Acts chapter 14, verse 15. This is, this is, a, this is a passage where uh, Paul and Barnabas are in essentially like a Greek city-state, and the people think that they're gods, like the Greek gods, because they're speaking things. And Paul corrects them, but look what he says in Acts 14, 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In talking to these Greeks who were thinking Paul and Barnabas are like Apollo and maybe some other Greek god. They said, no, no, you need to turn to the living God. And notice what he says about the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. So these, are, these are Greeks who don't know the Bible. Paul wants to tell them this fundamental truth. God created all things, the real God. One other one in Acts 17. This is Paul's famous sermon to the the, the Areopagus, it's, it's the supreme court of Athens where the, the greatest philosophers gather. This is the, the, the same court that tried Socrates. What does Paul say to them? Well, he tells them the gospel. Just like he tells everybody. This is what missionaries do. But, but look, notice what he says in his, his sermon to them in Acts 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to mankind life and breath and everything. So there's, in the background would have been the pantheon 
I'm sorry, the Parthenon. The Parthenon. You look in Athens, that, if you look at Athens, that's the building you see, that multi-column building that blew up in World War II. Um, and that's in the background, and look at what Paul says. The God who made the world and every, everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. It's an impressive building they've got in Athens, but God doesn't live there. It's just a marble edifice. Now, God doesn't, you don't make a house for God like that. You don't feed God. The ancients believed that they brought sacrifices to the gods to, like, provide stuff for them. That's ridiculous. Paul says the opposite is true. He, he sustains you. You don't serve him as if he needed anything. He doesn't. Quite the contrary. Look what he says. All mankind he gives life and breath and everything. But here you see this, this proclamation of God creating everything. Why? Why? Well, because that puts every human being on the same ground. Where you came from. Who you're accountable to. Who made you. God made you. And not only did he make you, which is a fundamental reality. He sent his son to deal with the greatest problem mankind faces, our sin. He died on the cross. In, his, in our place, condemned he stood. Let's pray together. Lord, I just pray that the gospel, in Christ through the gospel, would resonate in our hearts and our faith and in our church. That, God, we'd have a passionate desire, like the Apostle Paul, to see people, everyone, believe the gospel. That, God, we would regard the gospel as what it is, the unsearchable riches of Christ, that brings light to everyone, your plans, your purpose, that's been hidden in ages past. Help us to rejoice, God, in the, that your plan includes us. That it wasn't just for the descendants of Abraham, but God, for the nations, and whoever among the nations calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever has faith in Jesus Christ, through him, Lord, we're made your people. The once we were not a people, but because of Jesus in Christ through the gospel, we're now the people of God. So God, help us to sing with vigor and worship you and praise you for you are worthy and thank you for that. God, help us to be struck by Paul's great passion to proclaim this message to people who hadn't heard it. God, we just pray you would help us to support those who are going to the nations to proclaim the gospel. That, God, you'd open a door for your word among them that they boldly speak the truth. And, God, help us to recognize and praise you because of your power. That we'd remember your God who created the heavens and the earth. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Love to talk to you more about the gospel. If you have questions about being a Christian, being part of the church, this is one of the reasons why we're here. Uh, we want to edify the church, but we want to serve you and help you. We can have a conversation and sit down. If you have questions about the Bible, let's set up a time to, to discuss those questions. If you, have, if you want to be saved and you don't understand what this means, or please talk to me afterwards. It's the most pressing matter is to trust Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins and believe in him. And people like David back there and myself and Michael are here to 
help you understand what the Bible says about those things. We want to praise God for he's worthy. Let's use our voices to honor him.